you bow with me for a short prayer? Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, we pray that your spirit, your Holy Spirit and your Holy Word would intersect in our lives as a church and as individuals. Uh, help us, Lord Jesus, to, um, to hear from you and to become more like you for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in the 1970s, uh, a famous study was done by a group of psychologists at Stanford University. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called the Marshmallow Test. The Marshmallow Test was a test where they selected a group of four-year-old kids, and, and uh, they took them one by one into a room. Uh, and there was just simply in the room a, a table and two chairs. The child was seated at one chair, and one of the psychologists sat at the other, and in the middle of the table was a bag of marshmallows. Uh, the psychologist would then um, ask the child a series of questions or ask them to do certain tasks, you know, uh, draw something, do this, do that. And if the child answered correctly or did the task well, they received a marshmallow. But that wasn't the, the true test. There came a knock at the door and the psychologist got up and they would walk to the door, poke their head out, and they would walk back into the room and tell the four-year-old, um, I'm sorry, I've got to leave for a few minutes. I've got something I have to take care of. Uh, but, uh, but I'm going to leave a marshmallow in the middle of the table. I'm taking the bag with me, but there'll be one marshmallow in the middle of the table. If that marshmallow is still there when I get back, you get two. But if you eat it while I'm gone, that's all you get. Thomas Paine once wrote, these are the times that test the souls of men. <laughs> and the marshmallow test is the ultimate test uh, of, for a four-year-old because it demonstrates the, the, the eternal struggle in all of us between impulse and restraint between desire and, and self-control, between immediate gratification and delayed gratification. And so they, after they would leave the child in the room, they would go back and they'd watch through a window where the kid couldn't see them, but they could see them, and they would watch them. And, and the kids came up with all sorts of strategies to try to avoid eating that marshmallow. Some kids would sing songs. Uh, some of them would turn their chairs away and face the different directions so they could not see the marshmallow. Some told stories to themselves. One creative fellow licked a circle around the marshmallow, but he did not eat it. I guess he thought the taste would transfer to the wood. I don't know. You know, what's so amazing about this marshmallow test is they discovered some things. They discovered that it revealed about the general direction that these kids would take later in life as, as adolescents and as adults, because they tracked them. And they found that those who were able to wait as four-year-olds were grew up to be more socially competent, better able to deal with stress, and be more easily able to hold up under pressure without giving up than those who could not wait and just grab that marshmallow and chowed it down. The marshmallow grabbers, on the other hand, grew up to be more, in general, stubborn and indecisive, more easily upset by frustration, and more resentful when they didn't get what they thought they should get out of life. Amazingly, the group of marshmallow waiters had SAT scores that were, on average, 210 points higher than the marshmallow grabbers. You can go home and take a test with your kids and see how they're going to do. And even, even more so, the study showed later in years that the marshmallow grabbers, in general, were still unable to delay gratification. Their poor impulse control was much more likely to lead to substance abuse or delinquency or divorce. You know, our inability to control our impulses, our refusal to, to wait and to trust, lies close to the core of human sinfulness. You know, it's been that way since the beginning. Look back in Genesis chapter 3. We know the story, Adam and Eve, right? They're in the garden. 
they're, they said they can enjoy everything, but not this one tree. Don't eat anything off of this tree. What do they do? They, they take a bite from the forbidden marshmallow. Waiting has always been hard for us as human beings. It's particularly hard for us in the 21st century as Americans, isn't it? In our FedEx scene, fast food eating, microwaving culture. We don't like to wait for anything and we don't like to wait for anyone. How good are you at waiting? How good are you at waiting at the, tra- at the traffic light when you're waiting for that thing to, to turn and you're in a hurry? How good are you at waiting for your child to come home from college for the holidays? How good are you waiting for them to go back after the holidays? Maybe more importantly, what are you waiting for? What's, what's the marshmallow in your life that you really, really want? Now, I want to give you a picture, an object lesson of waiting of, of some, somebody who would wait really well. So I brought an assistant along with me today. Um, he's in the back and has done well the first two services. I'm not sure how to go this time, but nothing ventured, nothing gained. Uh, sometimes he gets a little freaked out by big crowds and lots of people, but I'm going to bring him out. Come here, Tucker. How you doing, buddy? This is our dog, Tucker, and uh, he's a good boy. Here. Okay, Tucker. Okay, sit. Okay. He knows what's coming. <laughs> I'm going to warm him up a little bit here. There you go. It's, it's a package of cheese. He loves cheese, and he's a very, has a very discerning palate. Um, we have Monterey Jack, jalapeno peppers, uh, cheddar cheese, and then we have his favorites, favorite flavors, dog and squirrel-flavored cheese. <laughs> or, excuse me, cat and squirrel-flavored cheese. Okay, Tucker, sit again. Shake. All right. One more. All right. We're getting close to the big finale. Okay, Tucker, lay down. Okay. Take a nap. No, lay down. Take a nap. Take a nap. Stay. No, your tail's tails in there. Good boy. Okay. All right. Okay. Come here, Tucker. Come around this way. Okay, now lie down. Lie down. Okay, now we're going to do an object lesson in waiting. You know, sometimes we see things that are right in front of us. Leave it. Leave it. And we want it so badly. No, no, Tucker. No. You didn't eat at the first two services. Don't make it look foolish here. Okay, leave it. Leave it. Leave it. Leave it. It's really hard in life sometimes when there's something right in front of you and you really want it. Other people have it, but you don't have it yet. You're waiting for it. It's difficult to wait and to trust that maybe that good thing is going to come to you eventually. But the key really is, is to know that your master loves you, to know that your master is going to give it to you eventually. You know, sometimes Tucker has to wait five seconds, sometimes five minutes. One time I forgot about him and he fell asleep. <laughs> I've tried this with the kids. It doesn't last. It doesn't work with them. But he's a very good boy and he's taught us how to wait very patiently. He's trusting me. I thought about doing the rest of the sermon like this, but you wouldn't focus on me at all. So, okay, good boy, Tucker. You can have it. Good boy. Okay. Good boy. Okay. Here you go. Two laps in case I get hungry. The psalmist says, I waited. 
I waited patiently on the Lord, and he, he picked me out of the miry clay. I, I waited. You know, waiting is a very spiritual theme. It's, it's, a, it's something you see throughout Scripture. And we're called to wait. And we wait for different things. Some of us want different things than others. Some of us are hoping for different things. But we're called to wait and to trust and to believe that our master in heaven, our father in heaven, has our best interest at heart. But the question I want to focus on briefly is, is not so much, have I gotten what I'm waiting for? Or how do I get what I'm waiting for? But really the question is, what kind of person am I becoming while I'm waiting? What kind of person am I becoming while I'm waiting for whatever it is that my heart really yearns for? What am I allowing God to do in me as I wait and trust and follow him, believing that he has my best interest at heart? Now, we can wait with patience. We can wait with rapt attention like Tucker did, which obviously I should say is also another object lesson. That's how you should really pay attention during sermons. Just kind of <laughs> focused. Believing that at some point, something really good is going to happen. Okay? All right? But we can, we can wait with patience. We can wait with focus. We can wait with trust. Believing. Or we can get frustrated and, and grab what we want and force it to happen. Make it to happen. I don't know what you're waiting for, but we're all waiting for something, aren't we? Maybe you're waiting for somebody to love. You see those around you with a boyfriend or girlfriend or, or a spouse, and you want that. Everybody else has it, it seems like, but you, you just don't have it yet, and you're, and you're waiting. Maybe you're, you're waiting on direction. You need clarity in your life. You're not sure what path to take, what job, what career, what college, what, whatever. Maybe you're, you're waiting for a job to, to be able to support your family. Maybe, maybe you're waiting for a wandering child to come back to the Lord and, and to come back to you. Maybe you're waiting for a deep anxiety or fear to, to kind of to go away. Maybe you're waiting for your finances to turn. Or, or maybe you're waiting for, for a broken, hurting marriage to, to be turned around and to be healed. How long will you have to wait I don't know. But I do know that, that what matters is who we become while we are waiting. And that I wait with patience and with poise and with faith and with trust. And don't become bitter. Don't become impulsive. Don't become selfish. We need to wait. I called upon the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord, the scripture tells us. Now, waiting is hard. Particularly this time of year, isn't it? We go to the stores and the lines are longer than normal. Um, we, we go to Dillard's or Dillon's or Dick's and the store's filled and we have to wait. And then Christmas morning, we have to wait to open the presents. We have to wait for family to show up. We have to wait for the, the food that's, that's cooking in the oven. And yet waiting is one of the most important things we need to learn in life. In his highly influential book, Emotional Intelligence, psychologist Daniel Goleman argues that the ability to wait well, to delay gratification, is the master aptitude that leads to personal maturity and effective living. How does this apply to us spiritually? Well, God obviously uses waiting as a tool for spiritual growth. In the Bible, in the Old Testament alone, there are 43 different occasions where where God's people are told to wait. Wait. Wait on the Lord. And throughout history, God seems to have used numerous marshmallow tests to grow his people. 
For instance, in the book of Genesis, again, we remember the story of Abraham and Sarah. They are promised and told uh, that they're going to have a child and that child will be the father of many nations. And they wait and they wait and they wait. They get past the age of childbearing years. They think it's not going to happen. And voila, they wait and God's, their patience is rewarded and they have a child. In Exodus, the book of Exodus, we, we see beginning in chapter 1, Israel is in captivity. They're being enslaved in Egypt and they wait. How long, O oh Lord? And they wait 400 years before they're delivered out of slavery. They wait. Now, what does it take to wait well? We all are impatient people when it comes to what we want and what we need. The story in Luke chapter 2 that was just read a minute ago talks about an old man named Simeon who had been waiting for a very long time. As we get to the background of Luke 2, we see it's a hard time in Israel's history. They were delivered from slavery quite a while ago, but now they're, again, they're, they're under the control of another nation. They're poor, they're weak, they're being oppressed by the Roman Empire. And moreover, they've not heard a specific word from God for over 400 years. There's something called the intertestamental period. It's a period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's 400 years where they're waiting, waiting for a word from God, waiting from, to hear from a prophet something, and all they get is silence. They're waiting for the Messiah. And that's what Simeon was waiting for. We see in chapter 2 that he's, he's, he's waiting in the temple. And, and we, the first thing we can learn from Simeon is that we learn to wait well by holding on to the hope of Christ. So the story is that Simeon was promised by God that he would get to see, before he died, he would get to see the Messiah. And so he'd been going to the temple every day, faithfully, obediently, uh, actively involved, not just sitting passively by, going to the temple every day, for, for every day of his life, to see when he would get to see the Messiah. He's an old man now, and, and, he, and he sees Mary and Joseph walk in, and it tells us the Holy Spirit opened his eyes so that he could see that Jesus was actually the Messiah. And so he goes to, the, to, to Jesus, he holds him in his arms, and he says these words in verse 29. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. That first phrase Simon uses there is, you now dismiss your servant in peace. Basically, he was saying, I'm ready to die now. I've, I've, I've received what I've been waiting for. I've seen the Messiah. I've held him in my arms. Thank you, God. I'm ready to go. I'm yours. But Simeon also goes on to say uh, that my eyes have seen your salvation, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory for your, to, to your people Israel. He understands that what he's been hoping for isn't going to just bless him, but it's something else that everybody else, even if they didn't realize it, have been waiting for and have been needing. A savior and salvation. Romans 8, 24 and 25 says, Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Simeon waits well because he has the hope, the belief that Christ is coming. Now, now Advent, every year we do Advent, and Advent basically stands for, means coming. It means waiting. We are, it refers to a couple of things. One, it looks back to Christ's first coming. A time when, when he came to the world as, as a human being and became our Savior, God with us, Emmanuel. So we celebrate that. 
But during Advent, we also look forward to Christ's second coming, a time when Christ will come to earth and, and, and all the woundedness and, and hurt and pain and, and injustice in the world will be made right and things will be, become whole and righteous and just as God has intended. Christmas is about a time of waiting, about a, a time of looking forward, of, of coming. You know, many of us are excited during the Christmas time because we're looking forward to a family coming to our house, right? Or, or for presents that are going to be opened, or, or the fun that we're going to have. But for a lot of people, maybe some of you today, Christmas isn't always such a joyous time because you feel alone or reminds you of loved ones who have gone on or because reality of Christmas doesn't match up with your expectations or perhaps there are family issues and, 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 and it, just, it just makes those tensions more painful and hard. So Simeon takes Jesus in his arms and he, and he, held, he holds him in his hands and, and he sees in Jesus the hope of humanity. The hope of humanity is salvation. And he says that Jesus will be a light to the Gentiles. In other words, all people, not to just, just the Jewish people, but all people, slave and, and free and Greek and Hebrew and men, women and children, young, old, rich, poor, every, every nation, every color, every ethnicity. Jesus is the hope of salvation for all people. Now, in Luke's gospel, the word salvation carries connotations of, of being holistic. It's not just about saving us so that we can be in heaven someday. It's also about redeeming every part of our broken world and our broken personality. So whatever has been ruined or broken or harmed by sin in our lives, whether it's emotions or relationships, our minds, our bodies, whatever it is, Christ will redeem and bring wholeness and salvation to those things in our lives. Good news. But in the meantime, it's hard to wait, isn't it? A number of years ago, a man named Marshall Shelley and his wife Susan sent out their Christmas letter. He's a pastor and a writer, and he wrote this in his Christmas letter. On March 14th of this year, our daughter Mandy was born, and before she had completely emerged, the doctor said, we need to measure her head. When I asked if something was wrong, he said, it looks small, possibly microcephalic. That was the first time we heard that word, but it wasn't the last. Mandy indeed had microcephalia condition, which means her brain was not fully developed. The first three months of her life led to her having seizures and developing cataracts in both eyes. Surgery removed the cataracts, and medication has the seizures basically under control, but her brain is still not and probably never will be normal. He continued to write, Mandy is a precious child, a gift from God, but, no, but one who will need special care for whatever years God sees fit to allow us to have her. We still don't know if she can see or hear, and the chances that she'll learn to walk or sit up are remote. The first few months were filled with an aching loneliness. Where was God on all this? What possible good could come out of this? Now, I'd love to tell you that Mandy turned out fine, and Marshall and Susan lived happily ever ever, but that, that wouldn't be the case. In fact, things got much worse from a human perspective. The year after Mandy was born, Susan got pregnant again. And early in the pregnancy, they realized something was wrong with the baby. The following November, she gave birth to a boy named Toby. And he had so many problems, he only lived for a few short minutes. Four months later, Mandy, their microcephalic daughter, died. They lost two kids in less than four months. Now, where's the hope in that? How do we learn to wait in the face of this sort of pain? 
this sort of circumstance? We learn to wait by looking ahead, trusting that our God will ultimately save us. A few years later, as Marshall wrote, looked back on the experience of losing two of his kids, he wrote this. Before my children died, I considered the doctrines of resurrection and heaven pleasant but remote, a bit quaint. Now they're central and strategic. As I held both Toby and Mandy, within seconds of death, I was overwhelmed by a sense of how close every one of us is to eternity. I was cheek to cheek with a child now entering everlasting life. That sense, though sometimes overshadowed by the busyness of life, is never far away. Many times now heaven seems so much more substantial than earth. My wife Susan sometimes says, I have one foot in heaven and one foot on earth. We've already sent part of ourselves on ahead, and we can understand better what Jesus meant when he said, Where your treasure is, there your hearts will be also. Jesus Christ is our only hope for healing in a hurting world. It's our hope in him and our hope in his ultimate salvation that enables us to persevere, to hang in there, to be patient, to wait well. But waiting is is not passive. Remember how Simeon was found in the temple? He didn't sit at home waiting because it had been a long time. He kept going every day, faithfully to the temple, faithfully believing, faithfully trusting waiting patiently on the Lord. If we want to wait on the Lord, it has to be a continual daily decision where we say, Lord, I will trust you and I will obey you despite what the circumstances of my life are, despite what I want and I'm not getting, even though things aren't turning out the way I want and may never turn out how I want. Lord, I'm betting everything on you. I trust in you and I will live for you regardless of the circumstances. That's what it means to trust to obey, to wait patiently on the Lord. Jesus wants our hearts. He wants every bit of who we are. And the more he has of us, the easier it can be to wait. If he doesn't have our hearts, it's going to be even harder to wait and to trust and to believe. Have you given your heart to Christ this Christmas? Is your heart hurting? Is it discouraged? Is it critical? Is it unforgiving? Is it apathetic or is it weary? Weary from waiting, waiting on the Lord. To wait well on the Lord in this world, we need to have our hearts completely given to God, completely given over to him. Simeon passed God's marshmallow test. I hope that each one of us do as well. Because no matter how hard it can be, there's something good waiting from our master. Wait. Wait patiently. And you will see your salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that that you call us to a relationship with you. It's not a formula where we do something and get something. We can't manipulate you. We can't force you to do anything. Lord, you call us to trust in you, to come to you, to, to wait patiently.
Lord, you know what each person in this room is waiting for, hoping for, longing for. First, Lord, help them to know in their heart if it's something that they should want. If it is, then, Lord, give them the patience and the trust to wait. Help us, Lord, to to point to the hope of Christ during this time, to, to trust in the ultimate salvation we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, do a work in us. Mature us and grow us. Help us to be concerned not so much on what we get, but help us to be more concerned on who we are becoming while we wait. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen.